Good afternoon. You are listening to KZYX. Welcome to the Farm and Garden Show. I'm Lama. And I'm Matthew. And I'm Leela. And we're pretty excited today because today's show is about something near and dear to our hearts. Mushrooms. Fascinating fungi. We make our living cultivating mushrooms and thought it would be fun to share with y'all how we do things. The excitement surrounding all things mushroom has been growing for the past several years, from vegan leather made from mushrooms to research concerning lion's mane and brain health. And don't forget about the oyster mushrooms cleaning up the oil spills. Yep, that too. But today we're going to be focusing on mushroom cultivation, otherwise known as farming fungi. How about we start off with a few vocabulary words for those that are new to the realm of mycology. And then we'll outline the basic steps involved in growing mushrooms. Okay, here we go. Mycology is the study of fungi. And as a side, there's no right or wrong way to say fungi. How do you say it, Matthew? Fungi. I have heard fungi too, which I think is pretty cool. Total personal preference there. The definition of fungi, as stated by mycologist Peter McCoy, is as follows. Non-photosynthesizing, i.e. heterotrophic eukaryotes that produce exoenzymes and absorb their food, usually producing and living inside a network of apically extending branched tubes. Woo! Okay, let's break that down a bit. Non-photosynthesizing, i.e. heterotrophic, meaning they don't make their own food from sunlight like plants do. They're eukaryotes, which means their cells have a nucleus. They produce exoenzymes and absorb their food. And that means that they don't have stomachs. They secrete enzymes to break down their food and then absorb it. And the last part of it, usually producing and living inside a network of apically extending branched tubes. These tubes are called hyphae, and this network of hyphae is called mycelium. I'm sure you've all lifted up an old pile of moist leaves after the fall, and you notice all of these what look like white sort of branching icicles on the bottom of the pile of leaves. Or like Paul Stamets always says, just go in your backyard and lift up a log and look under it and you'll see this white fuzzy stuff. Well, that, my friends, is mycelium. Kingdom fungi is incredibly diverse and vast. There are an estimated 2.2 million to 3.8 million species of fungi but only about 148,000 have been described. These include molds, mildews, rust, smuts, yeasts, and mushrooms. Do you have a favorite fungi, Matthew? Well, you did mention the smut, and I really enjoy quitiloche. Quitiloche. Quitiloche is a corn smut. It is the bane of corn farmers because <laughs> it can ruin their crop of corn. But it is also considered a delicacy and super delicious. If you get a chance to ever try it, you should. It's one of those sneaky pests that also ends up being edible, which I always think is fun. Okay, back to our list of vocabulary words. 
Mushrooms are the fleshy fruiting bodies produced by certain fungi for the purpose of making spores for sexual reproduction. Mushroom cultivators usually start with spawn as opposed to spores. Spores would be akin to seeds of a plant. Spawn is mycelium that has been grown out onto grain, like rye grain or millet. It is actively growing and there's no need to wait for the germination process. <clears throat> also, genetics from mushrooms that have specific characteristics are usually used. For example, highly productive strains or strains that can tolerate higher temperatures may be desired. If you start with spores, there's no telling what characteristics the offspring will have. Might be good, might be bad. I like to compare this with an apple tree and an apple. If you plant the seeds of a pink lady, the tree that grows will be an apple tree, but the fruit will be decidedly different from a pink lady. This is why apple growers graft pink lady branches onto their trees if they want pink lady apples. As for spawn, you can make your own, but this takes a little more know-how and equipment. Or you can obtain it from one of the many commercial spawn producers found online. There are about 3,000 mushroom species that are edible. About 60 species are cultivated commercially for food and medicine. It's interesting to note that 85% of global mushroom cultivation is dominated by only six species. These include button mushrooms, which include cremini and portabella, shiitake, oyster, wood ear, enoki, and paddy straw mushrooms. Some local favorites like chanterelle, bolete, hedgehog, or matsutakis cannot be cultivated at all. That's because they have a complex symbiotic relationship with the forest that can't be replicated. Cultivated mushrooms need a substrate to grow on. This is what the mycelium eats and the mushroom fruits out of. Different mushrooms eat different things. For instance, shiitakes, reishis, and lion's mane prefer hardwood substrate, whereas the agaricus species, like button mushrooms, grow in compost. Oyster mushrooms are unique in that they will grow on hardwood as they do in the wild, but will also readily consume straw of any kind, coffee grinds, sugarcane bagasse, cottonseed hulls, corn cobs, toilet paper, dry leaves, wood fuel pellets, newspaper, cocoa core, cardboard, and on and on and on. You get the idea. <laughs> they have a pretty big appetite. And this is one reason we chose to cultivate oyster mushrooms. There are always excess agricultural material available, like straw, but finding certified organic straw in a drought year, as it turns out, is not so easy. The main reason we grow oyster mushrooms is because they are extremely prolific. Our focus as food producers is to use space as efficiently as possible in order to grow large amounts of nutritionally dense food. With oyster mushrooms, it's possible to grow 50 pounds of mushrooms a week in a 10 by 10 foot space. All right, I think we're ready to jump into the mushroom pot. Oyster mushrooms are a great beginner mushroom because you don't need any fancy equipment to grow them. While other mushrooms require their substrate to be sterilized to kill any competing organisms, Oyster substrate only needs to be pasteurized. 
which means immersing in hot water of around 140 to 160 degrees for about an hour. So I'm going to outline the entire process that we use to grow oyster mushrooms. And then afterwards, I'll talk about a couple of super low-tech methods. Step one, we've got to prepare the substrate. We like to use rice straw. It has a really high yield, lots of nutrition, and nitrogen for the oyster mushroom. The first thing we've got to do is make the straw into smaller pieces, which increases your efficiency of output, increases your yield. We chop the straw, and to do this, we like to use a wood chipper. We use an MTD yard machine because the hopper where you put in the straw is not above the engine. We did have a wood chipper uh, um, that the hopper was above the engine, and occasionally the straw would catch fire, which is a no-no. So anyways, we... <laughs> big no-no. Big no-no. We upgraded, and now we have a hopper that's well away from the engine. So we cut open our straw bale and make sure to get all um, strings and everything well away from your area when you're chopping for safety reasons. And we start loading in the straw and we chop it up into really small pieces. And then I have some sacks that we stuff, stuff the straw into. So each sack probably weighs about, I don't know, 10 pounds or so. And we take those sacks and we get a big 55-gallon barrel and we heat up the water. We use propane. Some people use wood. Um, we heat up the water to about 140 to 160 degrees Fahrenheit with the straw bags stuffed inside the barrel. Then we let it sit for an hour and get really nice and warm and kill off all those competing organisms. But it's not so hot that it kills off all the organisms. There's still some that survive. And these are the ones that the oyster mushroom likes to eat. So it's this great little thing where we get rid of all the baddies, keep all the goodies, and the oyster mushrooms like us more for that. So the next step that is very important is you have to cool the straw because if you try to put your mycelium grain on the straw before it's cooled down it can kill the mycelium so another really important factor is draining the straw so there's lots of different ideas some people don't really bother to drain the straw at all they just poke holes in the bottom of their substrate bags we like to drain the straw so we can skip that step later on. So that's step one. Now that you've prepared your substrate, now let's move on to step two. So this is what we call bag packing. This is the part where we need to make a nice cozy home for the mycelium and all of its food. So we get some kind of a container or bag that is moisture resistant in order to keep the moisture in with the substrate. We don't want it dehydrating because the mycelium needs water throughout its entire growth process. 
So I take the oyster mycelium and I mix it with the substrate and I put it inside the bag in layers. And I continue to do this. We use a potato masher to stuff it in the bag, which is our signature stuffing tool, you might say. Then after the bag is completely full, we tie off the top. And then we cut holes in the bag so that the oyster mycelium can breathe during its growth process. Pretty simple. Next, we need to find a nice warm space and put, to put the bag there, and we call it an incubation chamber. And we leave it there for about two to three weeks until the mycelium fully consumes all the food in its little area. Then, step four, we move the bag to a much more humid environment and then the mushroom will begin fruiting in about a week. If you're just joining us, you are listening to the Farm and Garden Show with your hosts, Lama, Matthew, and Leela. And we just talked about the process of growing oyster mushrooms and how we do it. And, you know, we have a pretty decent sized setup. We use a shipping container as our mushroom house and uh, have an extra room built on there for incubating while the mycelium colonizes the substrate. And then the shipping container is um, all waterproof on the inside and has a humidification system and air ventilation. And there's a heater in there for when the temperature gets too cold. So the mushroom mycelium stays warm. And what I'd like to talk about now is um, for somebody wanting to do this at home, it's not difficult at all. Uh, it's the same four simple steps. Once you obtain your substrate, which, you know, straw is pretty easy to get a hold of. You can go to any farm supply or if you know a farmer that has straw. Um, not hay, straw works better just because of how the structure of the straw is. And then you need to obtain spawn. So remember, that's the grain that has mycelium growing on it. And that's the easiest thing to start with. And you can order that online. Um, there are professional companies that have good reputations um, for you know, good strains. Um, you'll have your best luck finding those companies. Um, and so once you obtain your spawn and your straw, you're ready to start cleaning your straw. And you can heat up water in a stock pot and use like a meat thermometer. And um, once your water is around 160, you can immerse your straw in there. And obviously you don't want to overflow it. So you have to take that into consideration. And you're going to want to leave the straw in the hot water for about an hour. Set your timer for 60 minutes. It doesn't have to be exactly 60, but thereabouts. And you don't have to continue having the heat on, just shut it off. The water should hold its temperature enough. And after your timer goes off, you're going to want to pull your straw out. I suggest doing this outside. Remember, it's going to be hot, so um, use some kind of uh, colander. Drain your straw and get it out of that pot so it could drain. Uh, again, too much moisture 
uh, is not good for the mycelium. Mycelium breathes oxygen, and um, if it's in, it has too much moisture or water around it, then it'll it'll suffocate. Um, it also creates the extra moisture will create an environment for anaerobic bacteria, which we don't want. So once your straw is cooled and drained, you're ready to pack it into a container. And you can use a, a plastic bag. You can use a produce bag or, um, you know, the, the ones from the bulk sections tend to be a little thicker mill plastic. Those will hold up nicely and then you can see what's happening on the inside. You can watch your mycelium grow. Um, you can also use any kind of container like a yogurt container or a plastic bucket. Um, you're going to want to make sure to cut holes or drill holes in your container um, before you pack it. Uh, if you're using a plastic bags, we'll cut the holes after you we pack the substrate and the spawn in there. Okay, so you're going to want to estimate about how much substrate you have. And we use about a 5% spawn rate. Um, you know, it's not exact. Um, you can use more. More spawn will help um, thoroughly colonize your substrate and kind of ensure that you get a good colonization. So you can put, you know, if you've got, you know, 10 pounds of straw and you wanted to put half a pound of spawn in there, um, that wouldn't be bad. You could go a little more too and it'll move a little faster. And then um, once you fill it, we like to alternate. You can mix your straw with the spawn first, depending on how much you have. Um, or you can like lasagna layer it, like a layer of straw and a layer of spawn, layer of straw, layer of spawn. Um, either way you decide to do it should work just fine. Uh, I like to get a little spawn in the very bottom um, so that it colonizes up and, and the mycelium uh, will start growing and you'll watch this. If you do the lasagna version, they'll kind of meet in the middle and you'll have these stripes uh, in, your, uh, in your bag. It's pretty cool to watch. But anyhow, once you get it all packed up, you're going to want to kind of let it settle. Um, you don't want it packed too tightly, but you also don't want it loose. You want it, you want to get some air out of the container that you're using um, so that it holds its shape. And the mycelium, as it grows, will kind of create a glue and it'll hold everything together. So uh, you're going to have one nice formation uh, that the mushrooms are going to fruit out of. You don't want it loosey-goosey or anything like that. Okay, so if you're using a bag, then you're going to um, want to tie it off. And again, get all that extra air out of it. Uh, don't go too overboard, though. Um, we don't want it too compressed. And now it's time to cut holes in it. So, um, you know, just a few is fine. Um, you know, on like a produce bag size, uh, six holes is plenty. Just little, you know, we take a razor blade and poke it in, um, clean it with rubbing alcohol or something like that uh, beforehand, you know, at the very least vinegar if you have nothing else. Uh, and that, um, that way you're not introducing microbes right into that substrate. All right, and you're pretty much done. Now all you have to do is find a warm, cozy space for your mycelium to fully colonize. It takes a couple weeks, um, give or take, depending on the size of your container and your ratio of spawn to substrate. So um, think room temperature. 
mycelium is mesophilic, so it likes the same uh, temperature as we do. Um, so think around 70 degrees. It's okay if it's warmer, it's okay if it's cooler. If it's warmer, it'll colonize faster. And if it's cooler, it'll colonize slower. Uh, we don't want to get it too hot, so don't put it next to your wood stove. Uh, we also don't want it too dry wherever you have it. Um, so again, not next to a wood stove and not in a sunny window, uh, because the space where you cut your air holes, if they dry out, um, the mycelium, when it's time to fruit, won't get a signal to move in that direction um, to fruit mushrooms because it's sensing that it's dry there. So in the next couple weeks, as you're watching your mycelium grow, you can observe it every day and it'll grow a noticeable amount each day. You can even measure it if you like, it's pretty fun. And there are these beautiful feathery white strands of mycelium that are reaching out uh, and eventually link up with each other and form this web, this delicate white web. And that mycelium is sending information all through little tiny hypha. And <clears throat> after about uh, two weeks, you'll see that it's uh, your straw, which was golden color, is now almost all white. And you can still see the straw material. It's not fully broken down yet. Uh, and it won't be for some time to come. There's still nutrition that the mycelium's gonna um, extract from that straw. And, um, but now it's time, once it's all fully white, um, to move it somewhere more humid. Uh, and, you know, right now, <laughs> that might be outside. So you might wanna hang your bag outside um, in the shade, uh, you know, if you live in a high humidity area, if you're on the coast, that's great. Or in the redwoods, that's great. Um, or if you have some kind of area where you can mist it regularly, uh, maybe your moist environments in your bathroom. So you got to figure that one out. But we want, um, you know, decidedly humid space. Our mushroom house, it hovers around 90% humidity regularly. Um, if the mushrooms don't have enough humidity, they won't, they'll dry. They'll start to form and then they'll just dry out. And, you know, that's never fun. A um, little anticlimactic. You're like, yes, a little mushroom pinners forming. And then they just kind of get stunted. So you want to make sure there's ample humidity. Um, I'd venture to say that that's probably uh, one of the most common first-time grower um, mistakes. Well, not a mistake, but, you know, um, things that could go wrong is that uh, the humidity is not high enough. Uh, so one way to deal with that would be building a little tent, like a, like a plastic tent that you have a water bottle um, that you mist it with regularly. That could do the trick. Uh, but for us right now in the winter season, uh, in the shade, we do live in the redwoods. Uh, any mushroom bag that we have that's outdoors fruits beautifully. So. Uh, no problems there if you want to give that a try. So as you watch your mushroom bags in a high humidity environment, you should start to see what we call pinners. Uh, they're little formations, they're tiny little clustered heads of what will become mushrooms. Um, not all pinners come to fruition. Uh, some start and then 
however the mycelium decides it might put its more of its energy into the other side of the bag and make a giant cluster on that side and a tiny one on the other side and um, you know all different beautiful sizes and formations of mushroom and so once that um, tiny little mushroom formation begins you're a few days away from um, a mature mushroom cluster. So watch closely because it happens fast. All right, so if you're just joining us, this is the Farm and Garden Show and we're talking about mushroom cultivation and specifically uh, growing oyster mushrooms. And we at this point have packed our mushroom bags or containers and we've let it colonize and we've now had it in a high humidity area for about a week and we're watching our mushrooms grow and how do you know when it's time to harvest so this is something that took me um wow a couple years to really perfect i'd say so oyster mushrooms they um the warmer it is the faster they'll grow and when it's really cold out they do grow really slow uh, but they start out very compact and dense and as they mature they unfurl and kind of expand out and the caps become thinner and unrolled and <clears throat> what i found is that it's best to harvest while the cap is still slightly inrolled so you have this margin uh, that hasn't quite unfurled all the way at the edge uh, once it does, the mushroom's still good. Um, it looks bigger, but it starts to release spores. It has started to release spores at that point, and um, the shelf life is decreased. Um, and the mushroom meat, if you will, is not quite as dense. So I like to harvest them a little beforehand. But like I said, um, it, it's totally fine and they're totally edible. They may, the caps may break a little more. So, you know, for us as mushroom producers that have a product, you know, sh being shelf stable is really important to us. So the, so our mushrooms last longer um, and can be transported and still look really, really beautiful. But for the home grower, this isn't quite as important. And I actually would recommend letting a cluster go um, flip up and start sporulating um, just to experience what that's like. So I'm going to um, talk about spores here for a second. Uh, oyster mushrooms have a heavy, heavy spore load. And remember, um, the spores are what the mushrooms use uh, to reproduce, and they emit millions and millions of these tiny microscopic particles. And they're so small that they can be absorbed into our lungs um, and right into our bloodstream. So you want to be cautious while around mushroom spores. You know, if you're doing this outdoors, it's no problem at all. Uh, if you have your mushroom bag that you're growing inside your house, uh, once the mushrooms start fruiting, I would move that bag outside um, in a covered space so it doesn't get rained on. So this is another reason uh, why we would like to harvest a little earlier and not let that mushroom 
sporulate. When we work in our mushroom house, we always wear uh, masks, filter masks. We use P100s, which are just a little step up from N95s. Uh, and we always wear those to limit the amount of spores that we breathe in. It's actually a problem for mushroom growers, um, especially oyster mushrooms because of their high spore load. Uh, they can develop mushroom lung, right? So um, you just become allergic to the mushroom spores, which would be a total bummer because uh, I love working with these. So we make sure every time I'm packing mushrooms or in the mushroom house doing any kind of work, I'm always wearing my respirator to prevent um, inhaling those tiny mushroom spores. So for harvesting your mushrooms, once they get to that point where they're, uh, the caps are about to unfurl, you can just grab that cluster from the top and the bottom. If it's big enough, you might need two hands, but usually they're you know about hand size. And you can grab from the top and the bottom with your thumb and forefinger and just twist a little. And you know, just like when an apple's ready, it'll pop off the tree readily. When a mushroom cluster is ready, it comes off more easily. So if you're kind of tugging at it and it's not wanting to come off and you're twisting, then you might want to consider leaving it for another day. Um, but probably not too much more than that. They, they'll ripen up pretty quick. As is you explore your mushrooms that are fruiting, you'll find that there might be different color variations. You know, um, you can buy different kinds of oyster mushroom spawn. So when you go check it out online and order, you're, you're going to find uh, what are called blue oysters or gray oysters. And, um, you know, those are just common names for the same species, Pleurotus ostriatus. And there are, you know, hundreds of different varieties of Pleurotus ostriatus. And, you know, some of them are a white color when they fruit. Some of them are more grayish. Some of them are a deeper gray or a brown. Um, and some of them, given certain conditions, will have a bluish hue. So I find that in drier conditions or in very cold temperatures, while the mushroom's emerging, if you see that blue color, then that might give you a clue that it's too dry. Uh, if it's really cold, then, then that's what's going on. But if it's not cold and you're seeing the blue, you might want to uh, get your mushrooms in a more humid space. And you'll see as the mushroom continues to grow and mature, the color generally lightens up and um, becomes a, a lighter gray color or a lighter brown, again, depending on the variety of spawn that you chose. So um, you'll probably see in your spawn shopping uh, some golden oyster mushrooms or pink oyster mushrooms. And those are the same genus as Pleurotus ostriatus. Um, they're Pleurotus, but they're different species. And so um, they have a slightly different um, uh, set of conditions. So the golden ones you can try as well um, in the same conditions we've talked about. And the pink ones need a little bit warmer temperatures for fruiting. So they are a tropical species of oyster mushroom. And so if this is something you wanted to try, I would recommend um, fruiting them if you have a warm environment or wait till the summertime. 
but they are truly a fantastic mushroom to behold. When we um, have our pink oyster mushrooms growing in the summertime, it's quite spectacular. So we, you know, usually most of the year walk into um, the inside of our shipping container, our fruiting chamber, and, you know, we have all different shades of gray and the white mycelium, black floor, gray walls, you know, and, um, and then over on one side, there's bright pink mushrooms. And when we grow the golden ones, we have golden mushrooms. So it's really uplifting and beautiful and um, so colorful. It's really, really nice to have that color variety. But even without the color, you know, the gray mushrooms that we grow, um, also called blue oysters, uh, they just continue to surprise me with how beautiful they can be, like all the different formations that they can create. Um, each one is unique, you know, uh, and it's still such a mystery as to why one decided to put a cap out this way and grow so big over here and make a tiny little cluster over here. And uh, it's really remarkable, the shapes and the beauty that these, um, this organism can create. Okay, so back to harvesting. For the most part, your mushrooms should all be ready around the same time. Maybe you'll harvest everything over the span of uh, two days, um, maybe more. I guess it depends on conditions. Um, but if you have the proper fruiting conditions and high enough humidity uh, and a healthy bag that hasn't gotten contaminated, then you should be able to just keep your mushroom bag in that humid area and um, let it sit for about a week or 10 days and it should fruit mushrooms for you again. And then let it sit again and it'll fruit more for you. Um, in general, uh, you get less each time. So we call these flushes. So the first flush is usually the largest. Uh, there are some strains where it's not, and the second flush is larger than the first. Um, but for the most part, the first flush is the largest, the second flush is a little bit less, and um, the amount you get each consecutive flush becomes less and less. At some point, the mycelium will use up its nutrition and its food, and it'll stop producing mushrooms. And there you have it. That is how to grow oyster mushrooms at home. And, you know, we didn't go over every little specific thing in detail, but there's a lot of information online that you can find. Um, just, you know, Google oyster mushroom cultivation, or uh, there are plenty of books that you can get, uh, depending on how involved you want to be in this process and uh, come into relation with the mushrooms. So Paul Stamets is um, a household name amongst mycologists, and he's written several books on cultivating mushrooms. Um, and uh, another favorite mycologist of mine is Peter McCoy, and he wrote the book called Radical Mycology, uh, which is a lot um, <clears throat> lower tech, which means just, you know, how to do things with the stuff around your house. And so... Uh, getting anybody involved without needing a biology degree to understand the terminology. So it's really a work of art that he created with radical mycology. So just to do a quick review, 
mushrooms and the mycelium you're growing need water, they need food, they need oxygen, and they need um, warmth or a proper temperature range. So, and to touch on these again, your water should be non-chlorinated. If all you have is chlorinated tap water, you can let it sit out in the open for 24 hours and that chlorine should off gas. Um, and then you can use it for growing your mycelium on, um, for, you know, pasteurizing your straw and such. Um, and then as far as food, you know, we talked about substrate. So in the examples we use and for our business, we use straw. We specifically use rice straw. Um, it's organic, of course, um, because mushrooms don't like, you know, uh, the chemicals or the fungicides that they would otherwise spray on non-organic rice. And uh, it's also what what's grown around here. So we get ours, it's, you know, about two hours away. Um, we don't have any large uh, grain straw producers um, here in Mendocino County uh, to serve our needs for the mushroom straw. But big shout out to the Mendocino Grain Project for growing um, a bunch of different grains organically. So that's really fantastic. And we have collaborated with them and obtained their straw for growing on before. So, um, but right now the quantity we need, we get from a, a rice, organic rice straw grower. And so wherever you are and what you can get, um, you know, what's available in your area is gonna dictate what you grow on. Um, but what you want to make sure of is that it hasn't been treated with chemicals because the mycelium won't like that. And you don't want it to be part degraded. So if you've had a bale of straw that's been sitting, you know, um, maybe under a tarp for like 10 years, <laughs> that's half molded and the mice have tunneled through, probably don't want to use that for your mycelium food source. So get a nice fresh um, bale. Um, as far as the oxygen goes, again, mushrooms and mycelium need to breathe oxygen. They exhale CO2, respirate CO2. Uh, and so you're going to want to have your mycelium um, in a space uh, that's ventilated. Or, you know, at least you can um, give it some air exchanges. And <clears throat> also uh, the proper temperature range is important, like we discussed. They're mesophilic, so they like the same temperature we do. So if you're uncomfortable, then they probably will be too. All right, well, now that we've grown our oyster mushrooms, all that's left to do is eat them. How's your favorite way you like to eat them, Matthew? I really like them nice and crispy with a little bit of salt and the cooking oil of your choice, whether that be butter or olive oil or coconut safflower, oil or coconut. Ghee. Yeah. How, what, what is the preferred process to cook those? Well, mushrooms should always be cooked, all mushrooms, not just oysters, because we uh, can't digest the cell walls that are made out of chitin. So I know we're all used to eating um, <clears throat> button mushrooms raw on salads and stuff like that, but it's really not good for us. Does it digest well? And then when we do eat it, it could cause some stomach upset. Um, and we don't get any of the nutrients or medicinal value that are in the mushrooms. 
So always cook your mushrooms to break open those cells so we can get all the goodness inside. Um, and <clears throat> thoroughly, not just a light saute. So Matthew's favorite way of cooking them is also mine and Leela's. Yep. And I just medium heat in a saute pan with butter and a little salt and just let them go uncovered. Uh, you don't need to dry saute unless they're wild harvested mushrooms that have been out in the rain and have a little extra moisture. And word of reality is that a lot of the times those outdoor mushrooms are going to have perhaps a little larva here or there and that's just part of the game you're gonna end up being a part of nature you're gonna consume a little bit of nature and it's nothing to be worried about it does not affect the flavor of the mushroom it just adds a little protein a little goodness <laughs> tasty Leela likes them <laughs> Leela likes acorn grubs but so what we've outlined today is the process of growing oyster mushrooms. And it's generally the easiest um, because you can grow them on straw or a number of other um, agricultural materials that are usually readily available. Um, most other mushrooms that we can grow are grown on hardwood chips or sawdust, uh, which would need to be sterilized first and inoculated in a clean space. Um, like, you know, kind of a lab, clean lab setting. So uh, for the beginner, um, that might not be so easy. But the process is basically the same, um, but also slightly different because you have to sterilize instead of pasteurizing the substrate that you're working with. There is a fermentation technique that I forgot to mention earlier that is where you take your substrate and you submerge it in water for up to 14 days until the water starts to smell really bad. And what's pretty interesting, when you take that material out of the water, you drain it really well, that stinky smell goes away and what's left over is a sort of almost a like a bacterial chemical smell. And so it's called... Uh, it's just another method of pasteurizing, but it's the fermentation method. And that's often used in places where wood fuel or petroleum fuels aren't available to heat your substrate. So is that something you would use on straw or wood chips? You can use it on straw. And as far as wood chips go, pretty, you know, most wood chip processes are going to need to be sterilized. It's really hard for the mushroom to eat into that substrate as fast as it can, the, the straw. Also something you forgot to mention is that when you're picking out your bags, you should not use compostable bags because the compostable bags, the mushrooms will eat them. Mm-hmm. You know, we talked about using plastic produce bags earlier in your experiment to grow oyster mushrooms. Um, and uh, we would love to get away from plastic. And we've tried numerous different things. Um, and one thing we tried was those bio bags, growing in bio bags. And I'm not saying there's not a way to really create something specific for mushroom growing. But the experiment we tried um, was really fascinating. And that as the mycelium colonized, 
it considered the bio bag, which instead of plastic, it's made from like a cornstarch and polymer. Um, it started to eat that as well. So it considered it a food source. And before it was fully colonized, it had also eaten the bag, which had torn open and um, <laughs> it, you know, just dried out in that way. But um, it did still fruit mushrooms. So it is a possibility. Yeah, with that said, I want to give a shout out to Mendocino College. They have been doing small growing projects using terracotta pots. I've seen people use strawberry pots. Um, also, shout out to Bodhi. He has figured out a way to use cedar planks, and he, I believe he ties them together either with some kind of a twine or wire, and he grows some mushrooms out of that. Uh, one idea that I've had that I haven't implemented yet, just from lack of time, uh, is you could create a slip straw, an uh, earthen building slip straw mix. Um, I guess it would be a mixture of a little bit of sand, some straw, and some clay. And you could make a column out of that and put some holes in it and grow some mushrooms out of that. Haven't tried it yet. Maybe somebody out there <laughs> wants to give it a try. They're the the thing we need to remember about the oyster, the oyster and all the other cultivation processes is there's still a lot more to be discovered. We're at the very beginning, really, of this process. I mean, commercial cultivation in the West has pretty much only been happening for about the last thirty years or so, and there's a lot more to discover. Mm -hmm. um, here, here. I'm very grateful for you all tuning in for another episode of the Farm and Garden Show. Thanks. Wishing you much love. <laughs> Thank you for joining us today. I really hope you enjoyed the show. Have a good day. We love mushrooms. Hey! Picture yourself out in the forest with your friends, with your family all by yourself. And you look down on the ground see a funny shape you pick it up you examine it you get out your book and okay the shape of the cap is cylindrical no is it umbinate no is it convex no you need to pay attention to the attachment of the gills to the stock is it adnext no is it sinuate no next pay attention to the shape of the stock is it tapering downward equal tapering upward something to think about so you pause and you think to yourself and you remember oh yeah there's that saying there are lots of old mushroom hunters but there aren't any old bold mushroom hunters so you get back to the literature how about mushrooms demystified by david aurora now just a second what's the position of the stock is it central off center lateral no. Move on. What are the microscopic characteristics? The spore color and the spore prints. Always important things to consider. Mushrooms can be deadly and dangerous. Do not listen to your friends. Talk to an expert. Consult many different people on the mushroom before you would choose to eat it. And remember, most of all, have fun. And now... Let us treat ourselves to a poem by Brooke Ninh. 
poems.poetrysociety.org.uk Mycelium under the canopy. Mycelium under the canopy. Under the canopy, we planted trees and mushrooms. The mushrooms sang, nutrients pooling around them, hummus darkening in delight. Under the canopy, the trees and mushrooms worked in tandem, pushing water through the dirt, underground transportation. Under the canopy, the mushrooms bore fruit, bore our burdens, bore everything. Under the canopy, we cut open our houses, found mushrooms, rolled them in our palms. Under the canopy, we dug a ditch, clawed into the earth and found mycelium, dipped our fingers into cleansed water. Under the canopy, we cried over oil spills, sent mushrooms to the shore to absorb the chemical pains of the thickened waters. Under the canopy, we dreamed of mushrooms, grown thick and fluffy like marshmallows. They latched onto our worries, decomposing them while we slept. Mushroom, 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 mushroom. We love you. We need you. We want you. We need you. Mushroom. Mushroom, we want you, we need you, we need you, mushroom. So come on over and share your secret, mushroom. We know you got it, mushroom, mushroom. We need you, we want you, we need you. Mushroom, mushroom, mushroom. We need you, we want you. Mushroom. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM. KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM. And Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org. And consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.